0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hey everybody, it's good to finally be back. You've heard this story many times before, or variations of it, or me just complaining about the way life is, but nonetheless, I did not have time to record last week because even though we had a four-day weekend... Uh, because of two professional development days, which I affectionately call days off for no reason, because it's not a holiday or anything. The district just feels like having PD days, and so the students benefit. Um, But I was uh, very busy, so I was not able to find a time on Tuesday to record, and then the rest of the weekend was packed. So, and the week and the weekend was packed. So, as it turns out, we are getting to you on a two-week break, uh, on two-week difference. I haven't talked to you in two weeks. It is now Tuesday, February twelfth, twenty eighteen. It looks like we're going to only have three shows in February after having a five-show January, if all goes well. Um, and the result of it, this wasn't this was a pretty busy couple of weeks. Um, there's going to be one overarching theme, which uh, is the Super Bowl. But uh, if we have time, we're going to get to some other stuff too. Uh, the Super Bowl obviously was a, while, a little while ago, it was about nine days ago, but uh, there's a lot we can still look at from it, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, so let's get underway with Super Bowl 53. Super Bowl 53, I can't believe it's already 50. It's weird to think about, actually. You know, there have only been 53 Super Bowls, and that puts the first Super Bowl at, what, 1956. That's not too long ago. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, the scale of history and all that, I mean, we hear about sports like soccer stretching back into the 1800s, even basketball. Um, but the NFL has only been around for 50 uh or the NFL with this championship game has only been around as we know it for 53 years which is just in- interesting uh point of emphasis but anyway this game was won by the patriots 13 to 3 uh and it was just a horrible offensive game from both sides i mean look at listen to some of these stats a combined 6 for 25 on third down uh, the fewest plays in the red zone in a Super Bowl of with only one play from the red zone in the entire game, which is from the Patriots, and they scored. Uh, lowest scoring Super Bowl ever, fewest points by a Super Bowl winner, uh, thirteen. And both of these offenses were just not clicking a ton. Um, and I think with the Rams, uh, this was a game was a while ago, but the thing that uh, that stood, jumped out at me as I was watching this, was Jared Goff's timing, just his, for whatever reason, his throws just weren't coming out with the precision we're used to seeing, uh, and it was because of either getting balls off too late or too early, uh, throwing a ball to the end zone when his receiver had to wait, uh, I believe it was Brandon Cooks had to wait in the end zone for what felt like forever, and then it ended up getting broken up by, uh, I believe it was Jason McCourty, so, Brandon Cooks is wide open, and you've got to see him streaking down the middle, and the fact that Goff let the ball go so late, kind of an, just an example of what we saw all game. I mean, on, on out routes, he was throwing behind guys, uh, and well, even when he did hit a throw, Brandon Cooks dropped it, um, and that pass probably would have resulted in a touchdown. So they just couldn't string a series of passes together, and that's why they, never was, they were never able to put down, march down the field, or even get in the end zone at all. Uh, neither quarterback looked terribly comfortable in the pocket uh, either. The The Rams in particular did a great job on defense, especially uh, Aaron Donald, uh, who's the one defensive player of the year the night before and was out there uh, then trying to go and win a Super Bowl. He pushed the line of scrimmage back all night, um, and Tom Brady had to get the ball out quick, and neither offense could really get into a rhythm. Uh, but the Patriots got constant pressure as well, and the one play where they send a bunch of guys is a Goff interception. So both defensive uh, coordinators schemed, schemed a great game um, and made the opposing quarterback uncomfortable. Now, the MVP of this game was Julian Edelman, 10 receptions for 141 yards, the one player who actually had a pretty good game um, in that game. And he was, he's, he's been, for the Patriots, one of the best at working the middle of the field, running, running out of the slot, running those little quick slants, finding spaces in the middle um, and moving with when the quarterback is moving uh, to try to expose the gaps in the defense. And I know it's a cliche, but it's easier said than done. I mean, if it was easy to do more teams would do it. Um, But especially when the Rams were running a zone, it was really efficient uh, to get the ball to Julian Edelman just for, you know, seven, eight yards or if you can break, break a tackle, break it into like 20, 25 yards. And though he was the source of some of the few big plays in this game, uh, what is interesting, though, is that he was, he did have to miss the first four games because of a PED suspension. It's interesting that that's a point that just never really got addressed. I mean, it helps that Julian is one of the you know good guys in the league, and he hasn't really had any major controversies up until this point. But still, it's interesting that that point, I never really heard it being made while he was going off, and then during the, when people were talking about you know, him and his legacy and his MVPs after and things like that, I just uh, thought that was worth pointing out, it's interesting, too, that he's also getting up there in age, I mean, he's 32 years old, which, for an NFL player, is not super young, Uh, so he's got, I think he's got a few good years left in him, um, but it already seems like he's been around forever, you know, (laughs) and Gronk, Rob Gronkowski, for all of his faults this year, and all of his injuries, and all of the -the off-the-field stuff, you know, surrounding him, he came through in the end of the Super Bowl when he was necessary, especially on the go-ahead drive that put them up 10-3 to in the fourth quarter. It was just about getting Gronk uh, on ma- on match- mismatches where he could exploit a uh, linebacker or whoever. Two plays in particular, the delayed wheel route, when I, when I saw that unfolding, I was like, oh, it's a wheel route and then Brady lofts it over the defender's head and right into the bread basket. It's like, that's a perfect play for them. Um, and then also the big chunk play, which was, you know, I made this comment when I was watching the game. It was like, okay, so you're just going to say, you they just send Gronk on a streak, basically, which is uh, something they've done before, but you can't do it too often with all the physical toll uh, his body's been through and everything, but I knew that when you put Gronk on the outside, like they did with the wheel route and then the throw down the sideline that put them at, I think, the two-yard line that caused them to run their only play in the end zone. That was a James White rushing touchdown. Uh, Gronk has a big effect when he's spread out and he's got man coverage because when you don't have necessarily that over-the-top guy, or even when you do, um, and Gronk's got a running start, he can really use his physicality to to beat you um, and high-point the ball because at the end of the day, he's still a physical specimen, no matter how many you know, parts are hanging off of his body and how uh, injured he gets, he's still a guy that can out-physical you any any day of the week. And for Gronk, uh, if he does decide to go out to retire after this season, it has been a really nice career for Gronk, and he's kind of, I don't know about revolutionized is the right word, but he was the, what the st- computer-generated perfect tight end would look like. I mean, he's big, he's quick, uh, not only as far as pure speed, but as far as making cuts. Um, he was put in with the right quarterback, uh quarterback who's methodical, who can uh, put throws where he needs to, and it's too bad that his career ended up getting hampered by injuries because Imagine what could have come if we got, you know, prime Gronk from three or four years ago for another five, six, seven years. Um, It would have been something to behold. So uh, I wouldn't, I would, if I were Gronk, uh, I mean, I don't know how much he loves the sport of football and he loves the pounding he's taking. um, But I would probably walk away just because, look, you don't want to jeopardize the rest of your life over a couple more years. Uh, of playing football, and you've already won multiple championships. You've already experienced pretty much all there is to experience. I mean, a bunch of Pro Bowls, all NFL, all pro teams, and and the like. So, yeah, I don't think there's much left for Gronk to achieve, and I think he'll he'll retire, um, but it's been a wonderful career for the big man. Now for the Rams, uh, on the Rams side of the ball, we're wondering where was Todd Gurley because I thought – I said two weeks ago that Todd Gurley's probably going to ha- share have the same amount of touches uh, as C.J. Anderson, but Todd Gurley was basically shut down uh, in this game. They did not go with him at all. Uh, he had only 35 yards rushing, um, which is crazy. Uh, I think it was 10 rushes. It's crazy because you have to use who got you there at the end of the day. I mean, all of the indications leading up to this and even after the Super Bowl were that Todd Gurley was okay, he was excited to play in the Super Bowl. I mean, he's back home in Georgia uh, because he played football in Georgia and he's in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. I mean, everything indicated that he was good to go and they ran it to him ten times. I mean, what are you doing if you're the Rams? Especially, I mean, I can get it if like CJ Anderson's going off or whatever, but once you realize that, look, we've scored three points at the half, we've scored three points after three quarters, uh, and Todd Gurley had a big run that was called back by a hold, I mean, what are you doing not going with Todd Gurley? I don't know what Sean McVay was thinking there, because also, I mean, you're not supposed to let anything back in the Super Bowl. Even if he was 80%, put him out there. I mean, you don't... Get many opportunities. The window for a championship in the NFL is smaller than you'd think. I mean, just look at some of these teams that won in previous years. Uh, the Ravens, six years ago, beat the Niners. Now they're switching their starting quarterback, and their quarterback that may have been elite or whatever is now uh, on the getting traded. Uh, let's see, the Carolina Panthers, when Cam Newton got them to Super Bowl 50, it was like, all right, this is a young team. They've got talent to come, but... They really struggled this year, and they're not even close to getting back, so the window is so small that you can't let you can't restrict yourself and your full potential if you're in that position uh, and so I don't know what they were doing with Todd Gurley the The people that did have a good day actually uh were the punters. uh they got a lot of work. two of the best punters uh that we have out there. Ryan Allen and Johnny Hecker, and especially Johnny Hecker, I mean, he had a 70-yard punt. It's not too often that a punt makes you uh, stand up and cheer, but I was just watching the game with, you know, people, and I saw that, and I, like, stood up. I was like, wait a minute, did that ball just go as far as I thought it went? Doinked at the 50, went to the 40, to the 30, 30, and it just settled down at the 30-yard line. It's like, wait a minute, hang on. Um But I think at the end of the day, what this teaches us is that despite all of the offense and all of the firepower and the Chiefs and the Rams and the Saints and all of these explosions, it's still the most important thing in professional football is controlling field position. If you can put your opponents, it's a probabilistic thing. If you can put your opponents back at the 10 or the 15 every possession, they're much less likely... First of all, to score than if they started at the 25. But more importantly, if you get a quick stop, you put yourself in basically automatic field goal range. So, the football is still a field position game, and that was really shown in the Super Bowl. Now, a lot of people are saying that this was like you know the worst game ever, etc. Uh, etc. Et et I don't actually think this was a horrible game. I mean, unpopular opinion, but. I know that there wasn't much offense, but we saw great defensive play all game. If, if you're a defensive-minded person, um, that really must have uh, met your fancy. But I think more importantly is this was just hard-nosed football. Uh, there wasn't a time, because some of the endings you hate the most are the ones where there is a big blown call, like obviously the NFC Championship game, or some big mistake uh, that you know some person is going to have to live with for the rest of your life, or their life, we didn't see any of that. There wasn't a single moment you can point to and say, this cost the Rams the game. Um, And there wasn't a single call you could point to that said, this call cost the Rams the game. Uh, The fact that it was just football, I mean, I think, and that was the only discussion after this game means that it wasn't a terrible game, and that I, I, I might be a little optimistic, maybe because uh, one of the people I was watching the football game with was a linebacker, and so he really liked all the defense, and he was also a Patriots fan. Um, but I, I have a pretty optimistic view about this game, and plus, if you take into consideration the way the league's going, I mean, we're not going to see too many games like this, so you might as well cherish uh, each, each one you get. Now, I think... We will see... Now, despite all the things I said about Super Bowl windows being small and everything, I think the Rams will be back here, um, especially because a fully healthy Gurley would make a huge difference, especially come playoff time. Um, and also, I mean, as much as the Rams' window is closing, so is every other team, like the Saints and uh, Kansas City, with losing Kareem Hunt um, and ha- feeling that for a full season. Um, plus, Sean McVay is super young, so... That that culture is going to stay there, uh, even if it's been pushed back a little bit with the Super Bowl loss. But I think we will see the Rams back in the Super Bowl at some point. Meanwhile, Brady and Belichick win their sixth Super Bowl together. And I don't think we're going to see a run like this again, because not only did they win six championships. Okay, so you take a look at like Michael Jordan in the 90s, right? He won six championships in eight years which is remarkable just because of how long the NBA playoffs are but uh, and he took two years off in between so essentially he he won the championship six years in a row where he was playing uh, which is crazy but i think the crazy i think this run by Brady and Belichick is even crazier because their wins their Super Bowl wins their most recent one and their first one are 17 years apart twenty nine or maybe 18 2019 and 2001 i believe um, and that's a longer run than most players' careers. And there aren't too many players. Now, Tom Brady is a quarterback, granted, um, and they don't really get hit much anymore. But still, uh, that's remarkable to have that level of excellence for that period of time, and that's really something to step back. They've been doing this for almost two decades, and given how long Tom Brady wants to play and the rules of quarterbacks and everything, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still doing this three years later um, and make it... 20 years in, in the NFL. And also Brady and Belichick, I don't think they're going anywhere because they like they really like to play with the chip on their shoulder. And they play up any chip on their shoulder they can possibly think of. And so as Brady gets, you know, into his mid-40s and, and the, the calls of is Brady losing it start to actually become legitimate uh, and, and start to show themselves on the field and the Patriots don't win 11 games or don't win the AFC East or, uh, you know, whatever, That that's only going to emphasize that chip. Um, and I, I don't think that they're going to have a, a sad death. You know, I think, I think to some extent they might win another Super Bowl and it might be the one Brady goes out on. Um, but to paraphrase what, or to say what Tom Brady decided to chant instead of Bill Belichick's No Days Off from two years ago. He said, we're still here. So, they're still here. Uh, Now that the football is done, a couple of side notes from the Super Bowl. Uh, Best commercials. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me, I was sick this week, so I might be coughing a little bit. Best commercials. I was actually, okay, so as we know, the commercials as a whole were not super good. I mean, we saw some good ones here and there, but as as a whole, they were not super enticing. There wasn't anything super ambitious or whatnot, with the exception of maybe one we'll get to in a little bit. But I really liked the first Bud Light ad, where they had the corn syrup barrel, and then they would say, "That's not for us. That's for Miller Lite or whatever." When I was watching that, with other people we were just like, ooh, that's a good, that's a good diss." I don't know. I just I just thought that was particularly funny. However, they beat that joke into the ground, running like three different commercials on it. I kind of thought that 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 kind of hurt the messaging. I think they maybe should have saved the corn syrup one for the fourth quarter. Um, but the ambitious one was the Bud Light Game of Thrones clash, which I didn't really get. But okay. Also, the Budweiser wind ad was also neat. Uh, Budweiser's kind of. Not, not to be confused with their Bud Light branch, but Budweiser as the regular beer company is often. Our, I appreciate minimalistic commercials where you can make a message with a small point, and I thought the whole cinematography of starting with the with the Clyde, the recognizable Clydesdales and zooming out, and you see the first turbine, and then you see the second turbine, you see all the other turbines. I thought that was really effective. Um, and that's the whole force for good message that really came through and resonated with me. Uh, those, were, those were my picks for favorite commercials. Let me know what your favorite commercials are, what you guys look for in a commercial. Um, but uh, that's that's what I think, because my, my ideal commercial is very simple, but with a very clear message, and I think that's every commercial now with the whole minimalism uh, trend and everything. I could talk about this forever. But also, another side note from from the Super Bowl, the halftime show. Um, My opinion, less Maroon 5, more Travis Scott and Big Boy. Uh, Because, I mean, Maroon 5 is going to appease everyone, but that's not fun. (laughs) And there was a whole sweet victory tease that never ended up happening, which is really disappointing because we wanted to see some memes. But who other than Adam Levine thought Adam Levine stripping was a good idea? Uh, him just taking off more clothes as the s- songs went on to reveal his uh, shall I say, chiseled chest and all of his tattoos. I mean, I don't think it was controversial. I mean, I don't think it was like, oh, there's a you know double standard with him and Janet Jackson's boob. I, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into all that controversy. I just think it was unappetizing. Or, like, unnecessary. I mean, Adam Levine's getting up there, too. Um, And I'm here for the music, not this stripping or anything. I I just didn't really get it. Maybe he decided to do that on the spot. If he did, I mean, good for him. Like, he's got a good bod. But, like, really? I don't know. That's just my opinion about that. Um, But that's why you're listening to the podcast. So, Uh, I ought to get it. So that's a wrap on the NFL season, our second together here on The Long Takes. That's pretty crazy to think about. We've already gone through two full NFL seasons recording this podcast. We're we're actually coming up on our two-year in a few months, um, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, I mean, I kind of started this on a whim. um, But, you know, we're already at episode 81, and we're no sign of stopping uh, anytime soon. Actually, uh, once college comes around, that's going to be an interesting decision, uh, how we're going to advance that. But, you know crossing that bridge when we get there. Okay, so we're going to, now that the NFL's gone, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the AAF, the Alliance of American Football for the Uninitiated. It is a brand new football league founded by Charlie Ebersol, son of Dick, Ebersol, one of the executives at NBC Sports. And uh, the young, younger Ebersole was the guy who made the uh, This is the XFL documentary that I believe I talked about on the podcast like a year and a half ago. Um, but uh, And he founded it in addition, I think, with Bill Poley and the uh, ex-Colts GM. Um, but the Alliance of American Football has eight teams, um, including one uh, in Birmingham because Alabama doesn't actually have any pro teams. Now it does. Uh, shout out Birmingham. But I think the AAF uh, and it had it. Sorry, it had its first weekend this Sunday. It was a pretty big success. It drew pretty okay ratings. It's got a partnership deal with CBS, so the, that's a market for some of the games, um, and they they will get on national TV in their inaugural season. Uh, it's ten weeks long, uh, regular season in the playoffs, of course. But I think the AAF actually has a chance to succeed. Uh, I mean. The idea of running a football league like this is that, look, when the NFL wraps up its season, you don't hear, I'm tired of watching the NFL. It's a good, or I, I'm, I've gotten tired this season of watching the NFL. It's a good thing there's no football so I can recharge before it comes back in the fall. You don't get that. You get, oh, I can't believe we can't watch any more football until college football comes back in September. And if you think about it, looking at now, it's February. That's kind of a really long time. So putting some kind of summer or spring or summer football league, there is definitely a market for that. People will watch. I mean, people want a reason to fill their Sundays. And plus, if you can really buy into the fantasy football aspect of it, I mean, that, that'll definitely grow the sport um, if they can tap into that 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 client base. But the AAF, I mean... As long as you don't directly compete with the NFL and the, the gigantic ratings and interest that it generates, um, you have a chance to reach that American football market that is definitely there. Um, now, of course, the question is what kind of quality product will they put on the field. But I think if they can, I think that's less of an issue if they can generate a dedicated fan base. Because if I mean, game. It's hard to make a type of game like this unwatchable unless there's no offense, right? I mean, people still watch the Arena Football League for a super long time, even though the play wasn't still as high. And although that league is fading now, but that's kind of a whole different sport. The AAF, I could t- I could totally see it becoming um, a sport people watch. Plus it could act as kind of a feeder if they could pair up with the NFL. I mean, the NFL posted AAF highlights this weekend, I think. So, I mean, that shows that the NFL is totally on board with this idea of this league. And if the AFL or AAF either, and it's kind of an annoying acronym to say, but that's the point. If the AAF could kind of become like a feeder to the NFL, you know, where you have kind of like the minor league system almost, or the AAF, uh, I don't know if it would end up in a merger, but it would have to be really successful. I doubt that would happen. But what's actually kind of more interesting is the AAF, in contrast with the XFL, which is the new football league started by Vince McMahon, that's the successor to the original XFL, that um, but, but claims to be very different from its predecessor in that it will not have the theatrics and the antics uh, of early aughts XFL. It will be kind of an... Honestly, it just sounds like the AAF. So if you got these two competing leagues that run at more or less the same time that are putting up more or less the same quality of football, um, I mean, a merger just seems kind of inevitable, and it seems like uh, Vince would get the better upper hand in that deal. Although that would be interesting to see if, like, you know, Vince versus uh, Eversole uh, after them, you know, Vince and Dick being friends for so long and, and all of that, all that good stuff. Uh, that that just be a so that's a soap opera waiting to happen. But nonetheless, I mean, there's, there's definitely – I guess the point I'm trying to say is there's definitely a place for these styles of football leagues. And as, as long as you can get fans that are dedicated to a certain team, if you could build a market like baseball is, where it's not necessarily super popular, popular nationally, but it still has a strong, consistent, loyal, local fan base, that's, that's all you need really because then those franchises aren't going to fold. And you might generate national interest occasionally and the league's only gonna grow. So that's my that's what I think about the AAF and and how that's really emerging in the sports landscape uh here in the US. Quick take the A's are not giving up on Kyler Murray despite his twenty nineteen NFL draft declaration from Scott Pelaschek on Bleacher Report. So Kyler Murray last week, or yesterday, announced that he was going to be a full-time quarterback, that he wanted to go to play in the NFL. He wants to be a franchise quarterback, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said a few weeks ago, or maybe even a month ago, look, if he wants to play football, if that's where his heart is, he should play football. Uh, and that's what he ended up doing. And I, I don't think the A's are going to be able to convince him because at the end of the day, his heart is set on football even though the guarantees might not be high in either league and even though there's definitely more possibility for Hurt uh, as a football quarterback. Um, I mean, the A's should continue this, especially if they're getting mixed signals like um, Mr. Pulasik seems to be saying. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's his decision. And whatever he wants to do, he should do. Um it's going to be really hard to move him off football just based on, you know, the nature of human desires um, and, and all the signals that he's been showing, pub- at least publicly. I don't know about privately, but publicly, um, based on what he's been saying, it looks like there's not going to be very much that's going to get him off of this football track. Thanks so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Don't forget to send questions and voicemails. Website, bitly slash takes patreon.com slash at gmail.com. Check out the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, rate, and subscribe. Uh, What else? I think that's it. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back, uh, I hope, next Tuesday. and, And that means that hopefully, you know, I'll see you next week.